Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Des Ryan, Director of Coaching and Performance at Satanta College, who is also the former head of Academy Sports Medicine and Athletic Development at Arsenal. Des, a big warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to the chat. Uh, I always enjoy talking about all things player development, athletic development, etc. So yeah, looking forward to it. As we're to kick off, um, as I begin with every guest that comes on the show, begin by asking their earliest sporting memory. Oh, good question. Cheapers. And it is clear. You have to go back a long way. My first hurling session. And I had a big orange oversized helmet. So I was probably only five or six. And it's clear today. And I was a bit scared going to the session. And I come from a small village. So I remember some kids were a lot bigger than me and I was in there, but I loved it. And I couldn't wait to get down there. And I, I remember the grass was really long. The pitch was really wet. Might have been ideal surfaces, facilities, um, playing populations. But yes, I loved it. And I, it's only flashing back to me. And it was so exciting. And yeah, yeah. And then it was every Sunday after after mass and yeah thanks for bringing back that memory no i like it you're you're welcome i think it's always a great way to start the show but i'd have to say i'm a proud man now listening to that 120 episodes in the first two mentions ever i've had on the pod of hurling and claire and the, and the the interesting thing from a coaching point of view and this is i don't think me old coaches will be listening some of them mightn't even be around but i was taught how to strike the ball the wrong way and the wrong hand was at the top of the hurl compared to the correct hand. And because I wasn't taught the correct way, that made it harder for me when I went into the teenage years, harder for me when I went into the late teenage years. And it was so hard to go back to the right grip in hurling. So it really emphasized to me the importance of good quality coaching at that young age group, because the, the technical work that's done at that age needs to be mastered because it's so hard to reverse it. And I did try and reverse it in my 12, 13, 14 age group when I was in school. But yes, it was, it was just too late. So uh, did, a coaching story about that as well. And did, I suppose, did football play any prominent role in your youth growing up? Nothing. And <laughs> that's a bit crazy. So I, I went to Arsenal and I never played soccer, as it would have been called in my area. It was total... Uh, Gaelic games, hurling football, my local clubs, and when I went to school, rugby, athletics. And I never played a game of soccer in my life before I went to Arsenal. Now, I did play since games of soccer, and I played with Thierry Adri, Freddie Lumberg, Steve Bowles, Arsene Wenger, geez, I'm really named dropping Jens Lehmann in, in staff, little messy, five-a-side, small-sided games for a laugh every so often, and Arsene Wenger and, and the whole lot. So I mightn't have great football experience from a playing side, but I played with some big hitters, technically. I might have just stood around and, and gotten the way, though, really. So no, not an extensive uh, soccer stroke football background in terms of playing prior to, to going to, to Arsenal. An interesting one, because prior to Arsenal, you just touched upon there briefly, you worked in rugby. Of course, you worked with Connacht and you worked with the IRFU back home. And then... You know, going between sports and more currently between rugby and football and now you could say to the GAA, how important is actually having some technical knowledge of the sport? Yeah, it's it's I wouldn't underestimate it because it is truly important to understand the coach's philosophy. Now, the minute I mention philosophy, people go, Oh no, it's not that. Whatever term people want to use, approach, methodology, technical model. Whatever the, the, the phrase chosen by the coach, not chosen by me, whatever he or she wants to call it, that's what needs to be learned. And in Arsenal, it was the, the football philosophy. And in Arsenal, the heritage, the origin of it, obviously, well, it's a, it's a historic club, but the real focus would have been from Arsene Wenger. And when I landed in the club, thankfully I met some nice people like Liam Brady, Colin Lewin, who instigated the 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 focus on athletic development in Arsenal Academy, and Ivan Gazidis, uh, people like Arsene Wenger was kind to talk me through the philosophy, teach me as I said I was a novice, 
understand how it lived and breathed, understand the detail of it, slowly but surely. Liam Brady to help me through that. Kwame Ampadu, who played with Arsenal and was the under-16 under coach when I landed. Ken Gillard when he arrived. All those people taking me through it bit by bit. What are the principles of play? What are the principles of play in attack, transition, defence? What are the, the real focus in the philosophy? Then, now, as an athletic development manager, that's what I need to help the players achieve. That's what needs to be built in the sessions to develop the players. That's what needs to be the outcome at the end of it. When you're planning with the coach in the, to when you're even figuring out how to get a player fit, how are we going to do it? Well, Arsenal is a highly technical philosophy. Players need to be composed on the ball, be able to play between the thirds. Um, yeah, we need to get fit through the game in the majority. We don't need to spend too much time isolated running. You need to do a bit of that for sure. But that guides the athletic development. And so understanding that philosophy. So once the philosophy was educated and it was a continuous process, then people got together within the club to develop the athletic development framework. And that was an arrow approach. And there was four sections to it. Functional competence. Okay, get good mobility, stability. Now, once you have, get that, you can get into good positions to receive the ball. That helps with the technical development. But also, once you get into good positions, you can do more advanced strength training, athletic development. Movement skills. Getting mature level movement skills was another part of the physical development framework. So getting into good positions on the pitch, good movement on the pitch was important for highly technical players. And then integrated conditioning, getting fit through the game, the majority. And then planning periodization was the final part, and making sure the players don't do too much or too little. So that was developed once I had an understanding of the, the Arsenal philosophy. That was created with people, including coaches, physios, doctors, nutritionists, athletic development coaches. And then that was combined with the, the football philosophy. So, sorry, long-winded answer to answer it. Uh, it is important to know it. It's not too difficult to learn it. Um, it's easy to understand it when explained by a very experienced coach or coaches and vital. But a person could step in, like myself, with limited uh, experience in the sport, where I will say I was more in a manager position and there was a big team of athletic development coaches. What really helps for the people taking the sessions day in, day out, working closely with the coach, yes, having some technical ability, having some experience on the the drills, mannequin drills, which is, that seems to be a bad word these days, but football actions, uh, football warm-ups, uh, that helps. But if you have a large department, having some people from a football background and having some people from other sports is really enriching in ideas, suggestions, um, creativity. So long with the answer again. But yeah, yeah, that's the thoughts at the moment. It's interesting because I heard you in a previous podcast in preparation for this, Des, and you were asked about the durability of the philosophy and you said it took one hour to plan and it took nine years to get consistent at it. But what I'm very interested and intrigued to learn a bit more about is embedding the philosophy, having anyone from C-suite executive to the academy director to managers to U-team coaches in the room, you know, having distributing that skin in the game so widely, is that necessary for a philosophy to become that little bit sticky? It, it, essential. And I'll go out a bit wider now from philosophy and I'll go, and this really was driven by Per Matasaker, the academy manager for the last four or five years. So an academy, I'll focus on academy, that's my, my main specialist area. It's all the people you mentioned, but it's all parents included, players included, um, guardians included. So an academy has to have a vision, and that's got to be communicated regularly with everyone. The induction, as you say, the board meeting, the coaches meeting, the leadership meeting, the, the phase meeting, everything. It's all as reference. So the vision, as an example, in Arsenal Academy is strong young gunners. So that's preparing those young men to be prepared for whatever's in their future. Maybe 
top five leagues in Europe, maybe championship, maybe non-league, maybe a different career. So everyone's clear of that. We're helping create strong young gunners. Doesn't mean they're going to be Premier League footballers. Plenty do. But they've got to be prepared for whatever their future is. And they're going to be the best version of themselves. Then how are we going to do that? The mission is to create the most caring and challenging football academy in the world. So that's explained to people. That lives and breathes. And whenever a decision has been made, we'll go back to that vision and mission. Is this going to help us be the most challenging and caring football academy in the world? If it is, well, that's a positive. If it's not, probably shouldn't happen. Then it's the the pillars of development. And in, in Arsenal, there's four pillars. So most efficient mover, that's mainly the, the physical. But as Per Matisak would say, that's football fitness. And he has all highlighted. And all means everyone's responsible. Logistics, operations, uh, nutrition, psych. And, and we all contribute to getting that player to the best version of himself in most efficient move. Uh, champion mentality, psychology, uh, effective team player, technical, tactical. And what I liked, he had education there, lifelong learner. And that was really emphasised. So when a player was reviewed, say, in a player-parent progress meeting, they were the four pillars. Education, lifelong learner, champion mentality, effective team player, most efficient mover. And you see how it grows, how it's communicated. Then the values uh, come along and their discipline, humility, respect in this example and the parents are aware of that. The players are aware of that. It's referenced if a young man does something naughty, he usually ends up in a meeting with Des, a disciplinary. Well, in the past, that was one of my roles. We'd talk through it. I'd say, say, for instance, he might have been disrespectful to a physio or not turned up for a session. Okay, let's talk about it. How does that link with the values? Is that good discipline? No. Uh, is that good humility? Did you apologize? Not yet. Okay. Is that respectful to that person that's really working hard to help you in terms of your rehab and so on? No. Okay, what should we do now? And we create the repercussions that happen from that. And it could be, it'll be built together, it'll be appropriate, and it'll be linked to the values. So the more time all these things are referenced, the better. When the coaches are doing their sessions and it's a attack, transition, or def defence focus. The principles of play on each of those three things are emphasised in the coaching voice, are mentioned in the prep meetings, in the performance analysis. Um, and these things start to become alive. And what's really good, I must say, about the Premier League is the EPPP guidelines, rules, actually. And every Category 1 academy has to have a performance plan. And within the performance plan are things like what I mentioned. Every club does it a slightly different way. But the good thing is they, they, they emphasize it. And then that brings good quality people in the room, good quality physio or uh, qualifications, good quality contact time, good quality structure. And it's, every club is assessed to make sure they're done properly, the right people are there, the right contact time, the right facilities. And the standard rises. And I think you can see the the results of it in the English national team uh, in terms of players that are developed in the Premier League and how well they're doing in the Euros and World Cups and so on. And how it's a pretty good. You shouldn't copy and paste. I fully agree that with that. But yeah, there's principles. There's examples. There's inspiration. There's motivation that can be taken from an excellent uh, structure like that. And I, I won't mention his name, but a high-level um, Olympic coach, multiple medal winner, came in to visit us. And he was extremely impressed with the interdisciplinary work in uh, Premier League academies. And I think people can take a look there as some of the best examples in the world, without overstatement. But yeah, really good example of bringing that to life, the vision, the values the mission, the philosophy, the pillars of development, and parents understanding it, players understanding it, and all the interdisciplinary team, the board understanding it, for sure. Interesting to hear of that. It's just not, you know, empty words on the wall. 
that's living and breathing around the training ground on a daily basis. What I'm most intrigued to learn more about Des now is you going in as a head, you going in as one of the leaders there of the academy. You know, mm-hmm. looking at it from a leadership position, was it necessarily you working on your skills to to affect change or more so helping others to work on theirs? All of the above, yeah. If I remember now, it's a long time ago, I landed there in 2012. I landed there from a role where I was doing something similar. In Irish rugby, I was managing the academies, the, the athletic development coaches in the academies, but I also had a role in coach education and educating the coaches in all things, physical development in the community, in the international teams, in the provincial teams. So I had good skill sets education, I like to think, and good skill sets of developing players. So fast forward, jumped into to Arsenal. Uh, the important thing to do is have a look for three months. Explain to people that you're having a look, you're doing a review, you're reporting back. And one of my biggest Oh, I had good guidance from people like Colin Lewin, who instigated this athletic development. Good insights from Liam Brady, the academy manager, from Ivan Gazidis, the CEO, Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger knew he needed the players better prepared, ready for action when they graduated. Colin Lewin knew mm, there was probably too many uh, injuries at the young age group, injuries when they graduated up to full-time football, first-team football, he knew the resources weren't there, the support wasn't there, like most clubs uh, back then, if we go back to 2012. But the great thing is the club recognised that. I didn't need to tell them. They had uh, resources to put behind that. But I had to think carefully and propose what resources. So the first thing I noticed is it was like we appear, we train, and then have lunch and the day is over. And that was the first thing I noticed. And I said to the senior people, um, God, you know what? These are academy. They need to be training nine to five most days. They have a lot of work. They have a lot of development to do. But I said, I don't want to press the button on this straight away. Let's talk to facilities, operations, laundry, coaches. And coaches, don't worry. We can do the afternoon. Let's keep going as normal. What you're doing is work. You develop really good players. But they need more physical, they need more, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that went pretty smooth, considering the day nearly doubled for players. I had to talk the players through it. And what I like is they bought into it. I can't think of an example where they kicked back. And that tells me they wanted to develop too. They wanted to be successful. So it was an easy door to open. I was a bit apprehensive. I had to talk to the right people in the right way at the right time. But bang, that was the first one. Full day. Let's change the week from training, uh, lunch gone, to monitoring, prep, training, uh, uh, athletic development in the afternoon, uh, some skills alongside it, full day, some meetings, some education, right through the week. Yeah. A recovery day in the middle of the week, a taper at the end of the week, but a full development week. Um, yeah, and then building things together. Let's build this athletic development framework. Let's agree on the windows where we do the work with the players. Let's come up with a, a focus of how we develop the players when we're working together, primarily on the pitch. What's our, our framework for periodization? When's our football fitness day? When's our taper day, technical tactical day? Um, what's our restart day looks like? Now let's integrate the technology a little bit more. How do we use the technology in a user-friendly way? Like the tech was there, the GPS was there, fine, 14 different variables, all the players wasn't really brought to life. So everyone together, workshop, what's important? What do we want to see? How do we want to see it? Now we're bringing it to life. Now let's reflect on it. What happened this week? How do we gradually overload the players using the Q-trade and variables for next week? Are we doing a little bit more high-speed running? Are we doing a little bit more sprint distance? Are we focusing on accelerations, decelerations, um, high-intensity activities? Uh, and you can imagine how long this takes. And now we're, we're gathering our information. 
we're doing our, our standardized fitness tests. We're doing our standardized readiness training. We're taking our injury audits. All these things from the three months looking around, yeah, we need the injury, injury audit. We need the fitness testing straight away. We need the um, uh, periodization framework. We need the athletic development framework. Um, there was actually a reasonable injury audit there in place when they arrived. Um, and now we can start building the picture. And I'm a very visual educator. Let's, with parental improvement, with player permission, um, take videos, take pictures. Where are we now? Just like a fitness test, let's take it again in six to eight weeks later, uh, a year later, two years later, three years later, and it grows. Let's tell the story of what's happening. Um, and that helped. And now I can share it with people in Highbury House who aren't at the training ground. Now and again they are, but they're so interested. The board, they're interested. What's happening on the ground? Show them a, a gym session. Show them a prep session. Show them a pit session. Show them ready to train, how it works. They're fascinated. Everyone's fascinated in, in football, in training, what happens in the, on the ground. And often there they have to deal with finance, commercial, operations, and they, they enjoy it. It got to the, the stage where I was, I was going to say rolled out, maybe rolled out to the sponsors to give them an insight. But I think that helped the commercial people to create ideas with the sponsors of how they can um, bring things to life. So it, 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 yeah, it spread a lot. But you mentioned Des can't do that on his own. Find good people. And we had excellent CPD an internal event uh, with ourselves once a month and an external event a guest brought in. It was targeted. It wasn't just who was available, what do we need to improve on, who do we need to talk to, how after the CPD, what's the actions of how we integrate this into our system. Uh, I, I like to pride myself on PDR, personal development review. So everyone in the science and medicine department twice a year had a PDR, one extensive one and one shorter one. And what went well? Yeah. What could have went better? Okay. What actions going forward do we do to help you improve in that? What are your objectives? Your personal objectives? How do they link with the organizational objectives? Right. That's what we're going to work on. Let's agree to that. See you in six months. We check in in between it. And then that guided the CPD as well. So from that, who needs to have a mentor? Who needs to go on a site visit? Who needs to get an accreditation? Who needs to present in a conference? Who needs to do a podcast? All good skills. Who needs to uh, take a project on and lead a project, uh, etc. So again, a long-winded answer, but so many things going on at the one time. And often, uh, practitioners, I don't think, sometimes don't understand all these things that a manager has to do. And I like to share it with uh, people that I work with in the department on, you're doing great jobs there. Yeah, coaching the team, going on tour, going on away matches. Meanwhile, I'm here chatting to the coaching team, the leadership team, the board, the executives. That training windows you have, I have to make sure they happen and continue to happen. You want this facility? I have to put a business proposal together to get that facility or that equipment and so on. And parents, don't worry, I'll talk to them. Uh, Disciplines, don't worry, I look after that. You focus on the coaching, physio, nutrition, etc. I'm simplifying it there. But yeah, it's an important message that the team of people you're working with understand all our roles and what we're doing and the value of all of us and what we're doing. Very interesting. You speak about people there being the cornerstone of the project, the lifeblood of the building. Mm -hmm. Now, you spoke about PDRs too. Now, it's one thing getting good people into the building, but what was your philosophy for retaining that talent, incubating it and growing it? Yeah, I always knew it would. If we do things right, they, everyone would flourish, develop, progress, and be ready for that and not be afraid of that and sometimes help them do that. Like one example would be uh, Sam Wilson. Uh, pestered, pestered me in my first year or two wasn't in the club, local person, uh, very interested in athletic development, wanted to come in and see. And I love that he pestered me and pestered me with ideas. Then an opportunity came, internship. We had a bit of a pathway. So you do the internship, which was paid. 
Then you get a consultancy contract of the time. They don't happen anymore. Then you get a, a full-time contract. And then you might get a, a lead position. And then you might, as in his case, go to the first team. So, yeah, we lost him. It's not a bad thing. He's with the first team. It's fantastic. Other people went to senior positions in other clubs. Other people went to senior positions within the club. And the journey continues. Like what I'm, I'm delighted. I go back every so often now to do education with some of the players who are doing degrees with, with ourselves in Stanta. And I can visit Paddy Roach, one of the first coaches that came in, who's now the head of physical performance with the women's team, very senior position. And I get to visit, visit Perry Stewart, who came as a, as a strength conditioner coach, and now he's in my old position. So that's just the journey of the working world. And if people apply themselves, develop, there's opportunities. And you have to be ready for those opportunities. And you have to talent ID people to backfill, to be ready to fill the gaps, succession plans. And you just got to take it as normal uh, turnover. Now, there wasn't too much turnover because it's a bloody nice place to work, um, a place like Arsenal Academy. But there will be some. So you've got to be looking at your depth church, your succession uh, plans. And at stages, you've got to look outside, find new talent. And I had a, a good rule, I thought, if ever a position became available and there was an internal candidate, no, we advertise. And if you get that position, you've earned it. You're better than everyone else out there, not just better than everyone within the club. And that was, was healthy, I remember. And, and someone like Colin Blackburn, who's the, the head physio in the academy, would have went through that process. And he was the obvious choice, but he got that position by um, performing better than everyone else in the in the interview process. And obviously, there's a lot of coaches listening to this podcast and other practitioners that are from a multitude of clubs, a range of clubs, um, from clubs working at the very top of the elite to clubs in grassroots level. For those especially, mm -hmm. I want to ask you, Des, that are working at grassroots, how can those people in leadership positions begin to affect change in terms of creating that elite, that, um, you would say, that learning environment that you just spoke of? Yeah, okay, so good question. I'm thinking in the context of community. I'm thinking in the context of internal CPD. I'm thinking they should create a group of interested people. So this might be volunteers within a club, team coaches, nothing obligatory, just something that you'd like to do. And it might start off as um, an R&D meeting, CPD meeting. And you, you get together and one person or two people have to present on a podcast, a conference they went to. An article they read it doesn't have to be academic, but basically four or five people sit together and one of the person shares what they've read. Then the discussion happens. How, what can we bring from that to our environment? And then they record the actions. And this may happen once a month in the first year. Now, that's 12 meetings, a lot of actions, a lot of things that are moved into the environment. Okay, year two, progressions, maybe there's a budget or there's connections, there's a network of external people coming in. And now you've got two events every month, or you can periodize it to suit your your your, your needs. And, and then it can evolve to year two, where you might bring external people in. It could happen in year one as well. But now you can sit back, relax, enjoy, hopefully guide it towards more practical. So someone comes in, shows some practical um, ideas in certain areas. Now, I'm obviously from the physical bias, so maybe it's someone on speed development for child, youth and young adults. Maybe it's someone on injury risk reduction. Maybe it's someone on uh, conditional games. Maybe it's someone on recovery. Now, you've brought them in. Okay, let's write down actions. It probably happens in a separate meeting. How does this apply to our environment? Relevant questions were asked in the CPD. They're written down and they're applied. Now, suddenly you've got coaches who mightn't be too confident previously 
in on doing speed activities. But no, they've heard it from an expert. They've practiced it. They've seen it applied. They've written it down. Then that's going well, and the club realizes how important education is. And then maybe there's an investment by the club in the people themselves, and they do certain courses, like the UEFA courses or courses that we have in physical development, as an example. And then uh, that information is brought back into the club. They have to, because the club has paid for them to do certain courses, they have to deliver certain times. Then the ideas they've learned, they share with the other people in the club and it begins to grow. And with that, you've got better practitioners, you've shared information, you've stimulated ideas and you've recorded the outcomes. And if you're smart from that CPD is you're creating the athletic development framework or player development framework or player and course development framework document as you go along in that one, two, three year journey. And it's not just what sometimes happen. Let's just sit and listen to this person present and let's leave the room and nothing happens. So meaningful CPD as something that comes to my head for a community uh, club environment. And uh, that's something I'm I'm interested. I shared with you um, the sports science framework for Gaelic games. And I would I would recommend people to have a look at it. I shared the link with you. And the idea behind that is that uh, a framework is in place for all the sports sciences, sciences for predominantly community volunteer sports. And it goes through athletic development, nutrition, sports psychology, physio and rehab and skill acquisition. And the vision of that document is for 2030 that all the resources are in place for coaches at the child, youth, young adult, adult level, volunteer sports and the elite end and transition end uh, to help with all sports science. So it's a it's a framework document. Uh, there's resources currently attached to it and more to come. But it's, it's I think it's appropriate to lots of different sports at community level. And I also shared with you the Arsenal uh, published document in the NSCA journal on our physical development framework. So people might find those of interest. And I'd suggested them to, if there are a group of coaches in a club, have a read and have a chat about it and talk about it in the context of, of their environment. Really interesting. And I had a glance at both this morning before Commandes, so I'll share both in the footnotes before, uh, below on the podcast. Bringing it back to Arsenal, looking at that document, we speak about the athletic sport philosophy emanating from the technical sport philosophy Part where I'm much more curious to learn more about was the integrated conditioning piece because mm. obviously throughout your time at the club there's a certain type of technical player coming through the ranks from the likes of Bukayo Saka, Eddie Nketiah, Hector Bellerin, Serge Gnabry. What I'm most intrigued to learn about is managing these guys' loads and work to rest. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Um, very simple, very logical. And the players educated me on this. So one of my first months, I was mad keen to do readiness to train. Now, these are in full-time environments, under 18, under 23. And in my rugby past, uh, we did it nearly every day when we were in camp. And in my thoughts, I was going, well, these are full-time, we can do it every day. And I asked them, look, I'd love to do readiness to train. This is what it is, little workshop. How often would you be willing to do it as long as you gave your best effort and you told me the truth in the answers like palms, like sleep and so on? And I said, we'll do it twice a week, bro. <laughs> and I was, oh, oh, OK. And I went, well, I can't ask them to do it more because I want them to do it truthfully. And I went, yes, we'll do that as long as you do it uh, with the greatest intent and the truthful answers. So they did. And I learned that that's all I needed. I just need to see them on a Monday. How are they after the weekend match and so on? Are they ready for a good quality developmental week? I just needed to see them on Friday. Did we do a good week? Did we do too much or too little? How are we going into the match? Match isn't the main focus. The development week is. And that worked. So the players were right. So I got a lovely picture on a Monday morning with all the physios, conditioners. It worked like they arrived 
they did their they went to the room for the readiness to train they did their squeeze their jump their weight their hydration their palms uh, they went up to breakfast we chatted if there was chats needed to be had we chatted to them in breakfast if there was anything flagged then we went up to the coach's office and our goal was less than 10 were removed from training because of symptoms from ready to train over the whole season with squads of two squads of players. We didn't want to do that. We didn't want to stop players training. But every so often there'd be two or three that would need modification to the session. They mightn't have done every condition game. They mightn't have done the last 15. They might have been taken in and out of certain sessions. So the information from needs to train and chats, the most important thing were the chats, were brought up to the coaches. Players were chatted through, modifications were made if needed, then out to the session. And that worked well. That works well. That's smart training. That's honesty from players. That's good decisions from an interdisciplinary team. And that helped. Now, I keep going into the week. That was monitoring on Monday, Friday. Then uh, um, prep session happened Monday before they went out to the um, technical session. That reduces the risk of injury if you do proper activation before you go out to a session. Then the sessions happen on a Monday. Then the afternoon was a mainly predominantly upper body gym session. And then on the Tuesday was the big day. So priority session at the start. That's where the players worked on whatever they needed to work on, whatever there was priority. That's the beauty of having a large science and medicine department. You can do individual work. Then that was the speed day, linear, straight line. Get your your above 90% max sprint in. That helps with a lot of things. But you're learning how to run and you're learning how to run fast. Then the football fitness session, tough, tough session. Getting an extensive session large numbers, big areas, lots of high-speed running, lots of sprint distance, lots of high-intensity actions. And the acute training variables of that is written out in the session plan, led by the coach, supported by the conditioning coach, compared to previous similar sessions, and always trying to do that a little bit more if it was a week where you were chasing a bit more. Session happened, and... If the players didn't achieve what they needed to achieve, assessed by live GPS, they were held on for top-ups. They made sure they got the outputs what they did. And what I loved is the coaches that were there, like Kwame Ampadu, Ken Gillard, Steve Bold, they would they would be upset if there was top-ups. They wanted to get that through the game, through the drills, through the activities. And that was healthy, the two working together. And there'd be looks left and right between the conditioner and the coach. Did we get it yet? Did we get it? There'd be verbal cues from the coach to get the players running meaningful movements, meaningful football actions to get the football fitness done on the Tuesday. All the other sessions were very technical, tactical. Football fitness on the Tuesday. Then there'd be a second session on the Tuesday, more light, technical. Then there'd be a legs session on the Tuesday. So Tuesday was a killer of a day, but a brilliant day for training. Then Wednesday was a day off. Recovery, education, etc. Thursday, we're back into it. Another developmental day. Priority session, technical session, athletic development session. Tough enough day, more intensive, smaller areas, depending on the week, depending on the players available. Then Friday, match day minus one, monitoring. Okay, how do we get on? Did we overdo it? Did we underdo it? Did we get it just right? And you'd have your match day minus one session and the afternoon would be education. So a little taper into the match on Saturday. So, and we followed a, a three weeks on, one week off pattern in the majority. And we were building it up over the three weeks and then we were covered. So you can see simple periodization here of work hard for three weeks, build it up, recover. In the week itself, work hard for two days, recover. Work hard for a Thursday, taper down to the Saturday. All very simple, logical, smart and effective, I'd like to think. Brilliant. And it's very, very insightful. Um, I'm just writing down here in my notes. It's a wholly encompassing of the framework you have for developing strong young gunners. And, you know, with the game constantly evolving, there's 
becoming one of less space and less time. Are there any adaptations you would make to that model currently? I think that model was... I don't want to be too complimentary of it, but it was contemporary, is how I put it. I think a lot of adult teams could learn from it in their context. So I think that's a good week to develop players for the top five leagues in Europe. I actually, and I have to back that up. So only two days ago, I looked back at an old team sheet from 2015. And Declan Rice was on the West Ham bench as a 16-year-old. And I looked over at the Arsenal team. And if I look through it, no, it was under 21, 2015. So it's eight years ago. What has happened since? So Eddie Nketiah wasn't on the team. He was up at the first team, as was Reese Nelson, as was Justice Silva. He might have been injured, actually. Daniel Malin wasn't selected. And Serge Gnarby was up at the first team. So they're players that weren't even on it. And they're playing in the top five leagues in Europe. Two, three, Premier League, two, Bundesliga. But of all the other players, uh, two are in the Premier League. One is in Serie A. One is in La Liga. Four is in the Championship. Two are in the squad. One is in the Scottish Premiership. One in the Turkish Premier League. Three Land League players. And two are working in football as agents. So to me, I'm going, okay, it's that works. What we did in the past, eight years later, that's a lot of players from an under-21 team. And and what was in place helped them from a physical sense. Now, I shouldn't neglect, that's only one pillar, most efficient mover. Equally intensive and in quality was the effective team player, champion mentality, lifelong learner. So what I didn't describe in the week was all those workshops, performance analysis, that were doing all that other work. And so my point is, that's what's needed, I feel, to develop future players for the top five leagues in Europe, Premier League. Would I say it's unusual what we were doing? Of the time, yes. More are doing a something similar. But the sweet spot we got were getting those players to very high strength levels. Something that still is a bit uncomfortable in football. Uh, lifting heavy. Uh, sprinting with resistance, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's a good recipe to develop players for the top five leagues in Europe. Um, not all of them are going to make it, but that's why the strong young gunner is important to prepare them if they don't make it. Um, yeah, so what I think is right now with adult teams, but adult teams isn't of interest to me, isn't my area. It's very... In we come in the morning, we're gone at lunchtime. Can it be more individual is the question I'll pose. Should younger players hang around in the afternoon more and do additional work? Should older players do less work? Should the players in between have an individual week as well? How do we manage and work with the obvious support teams that the players have themselves? Is the communication good there? So for the future, I'm thinking players could do a bit more on the right day, on the right week. Obviously not double match weeks with lots of travel for their development. And it, maybe some players do, some players don't. And linking in with those support teams that they're already working with and you don't want to double up the load. So more truthfulness, more sharing, more planning together, more individual is what I think can help players get the the high levels that are needed, as you alluded to, with the the intense games that are going on with the likes of Arsenal, Man City, Liverpool, etc. That's great. Um, the one thing that intrigues me, you speak about the end result being creating more players for the top five leagues. However, I beg to differ because you mentioned it countless times about the strong young gunners. And mm. I think it's a worthy aim to have an infinite goal as opposed to a finite goal knowing the reality in what you're embedded in and when you're playing games that are infinite you know success is a value that you're constantly chasing you know that learning mentality that lifelong learning seems yes. to be running through the club and, and it, it's I can honestly say that's true because there's a player who's doing a degree in strength conditioning 
with, with ourselves and I go over to visit him with other players, Carl Hein. Now, he's the national goalkeeper for Estonia. He's in the senior squad for Arsenal. Does he need to do a degree? Some would say maybe not. But he wants to do it because of the lifelong learner that's ingrained in him, his own values himself, his interest in the area. And yeah, that's the type of person, player, that is 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 being developed with the strong young gunner principle. And something that came to mind, linked to what you mentioned, is the future. I'm always thinking the future because Academy is getting a player ready for 2030, etc. But right now, if I look at the, the research, I don't think, think things are going as, as well as people might think. If we look at the UEFA research that was published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine that looked over hamstring injuries for the last 20 years, guess what? They're increasing every year, year on year. No. Why is that? So there is some mitigation, more matches, more intense matches, more intense training, demands on the players uh, outside of football. But if I look at the research on outputs in the Premier League over the last 20 years, yeah, 06 to 013, big increases, about 35% in high speed, and 30% in sprint distance. But it's levelled off. This makes the job easier for academy. It's increased from 014 to 019, 10%. Okay. An extra 85 meters or something like that. An extra 20 meters of sprint distance. Not, not hugely. Me, I'm looking at that very achievable for academy. So, and these hamstring injuries are still happening. Now, if I listen to inform people, interdisciplinary work, people making decisions together, not a super exercise that will solve all problems, not a, a measurement that will solve all problems. No, interdisciplinary work, exactly what I've been talking about that's going on in the academies, could help things in that area, could be the future. Uh, good leadership skills, coaches who do more education, masters, degrees, leadership, executive coaching type courses how they pull everyone together so people are working together smoothly. I think that's the future. And it's not an exercise. It's not a session. But it's what will raise the standards, I think. And I think that's what's needed with these injuries as a clue of what's happening in terms of going up. And all the support we have in, in sports science, sports medicine, coaching. seems to be um, a common trend, which I'm hearing about a lot from just visiting clubs, speaking to people on this podcast, is there is a growing inability at times, I would push the at times piece, to work collaboratively and to work as yes. a team. Mm. You know, communication and leadership skills, especially nowadays, are fading ever more so at the advent of technology and AI. You know, is there any advice you'd have for young SNC practitioners or in fact coaches or people in leadership positions out there to further enhance those leadership and communication yeah. skills. Definitely. And to add to your point, there was an excellent report published in Martin Bruchite's um, reports where he interviewed eight heads of science and medicine. Uh, I think two were in the Bundesliga and six were in the Premier League. And their feedback was more strategic planning, more interdisciplinary work. So there's more clues on what we're talking about. So in order to do it, um, yeah, create what I mentioned, a vision, a mission, pillars of development, objectives for departments, strategies to achieve those objectives, key performance indicators to see if you're achieving those strategies and objectives, values, and build it with people. Attach onto it a physical development framework. Attach onto it the coaching philosophy, principles of play, etc. And now you've got your player and coach development framework. Now you've got a reference point that would end all arguments. If there is a debate, a disagreement, let's check the document. That's where the answer is. If there is a discussion about how you'll do something, let's look at the document and the values. If there is a discussion on what you're doing, let's look at the document. And that document grows every year is reviewed every year, is added every year. The, the document we had in Arsenal 
I had a, a challenging experience in my first support of a player through Ramadan. I was disappointed with myself. I was disappointed with the outcome. Okay, we need to come up with a position statement on this. We need to come up with advice on this. We need to write it down, edit the document. Next year, all the relevant information was there to manage, uh, help support the player through Ramadan uh, the following year. And you can see how the document grows. We had a position statement on early specialization, on specialization, I should say, sorry. We had a position statement on footwear and surfaces. And you just keep on adding to it. And that helps with, with that. Um, yeah, but education, I would say that. I work with a, a college. Education is key. Uh, and people in those roles, in those professions, should be doing certificates, diplomas, degrees, masters in coaching, in leadership, in performance coaching, etc., to help all those things come to light. Fantastic. And I mean, before we close this, I have to say it's been an absolute privilege to have hosted you on the show. I've really took a lot from this Thank conversation. And I'm sure nice a lot of the audience nice members will do. But um, before we close, we have a tradition on the podcast where I ask the guest for those wishing to, for those listening that are wishing to thread a similar path to yourself, does what would be the one bit of advice that you'd have for them? Yeah. Mentor. Get a good mentor. I probably would have dropped out of the profession, failed at the profession if I didn't have a mentor. Uh, I entered the industry too quickly due to a team having cutbacks. I was a economical option, full-time professional adult team. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just out of college. I had a mentor. He met me, supported me, guided me, never told me an answer, um, but made me think about something in the right way to come up with the a most appropriate answer. And as I went through my career, more of those mentors appeared. They were people you could have a trusted conversation with. There were people who would help you reflect. There were people who would guide you towards the, the most appropriate action. And it was so helpful. Yeah, so finding that person is hard, um, not impossible. And if you are finding a mentor, make it two way. If they're helping you in some way, help them in another way. And then it becomes beneficial for both. Fantastic. Des, it's been an absolute pleasure to have had you on the show. So, thanks for inviting me.